I just wanted to inform you that the following program was pre-recorded. So when you hear some dates or days mentioned and they don't quite mesh up with today's date, now you know why. Good morning and welcome to Rochester Today. On this Monday, I'm Andy Brownell along with the superintendent of the Rochester Public Schools, Kent Pickell. Hey, good morning, Kent. Good morning. Good to be back. It's good to have you back. That's for sure. Uh, a lot of exciting things happening in the schools, but I guess we better start with the big elephant in the room and what happened a little bit ago in Texas and everybody, I think nationwide, everybody is still reeling and and also depressed a little bit that this could happen again. Mm-hmm. The unexplainable, the inexplicable, the the horror of it. it um I guess maybe I'll just do a, a check-in with the Rochester Public Schools. I, I know you can't get into specifics, but it's it's got to be on people's minds. It's obviously on people's minds. It's on my mind. Um, the tragedy is incomprehensible. Um, you know, my heart, everything goes out to those educators, those families. And, of course, then your mind does come to our schools, our community, Um I want to assure everyone in Rochester that one of a number of areas of our school district that is superbly well managed are our security efforts. Um, when I got here, we did a top to bottom scrub of those efforts, and I was very pleased with what I found, both in terms of uh, our threat assessment process and in terms of our crisis response processes as well as the facilities uh, adjustments we've made progressively as buildings have been updated. For pretty obvious reasons, I can't say more than that because we don't want to publicize those things and nothing's ever guaranteed, um, but it's on our minds constantly. Um, As you can imagine, it would be and we continually try and um, subject what we do in Rochester to best practices uh, in school safety nationally, and we frankly also very intentionally try and learn from these tragedies when they do happen. So as far as the students themselves and the school system, when this happened, do you reach out? Do you have extra counselors? Do you have, a, I guess, availability for somebody to have a chance to talk with someone if they need to? We do. This is attention. This is one of those areas where um, uh, you, you, if you're in a somewhat large system, you have to be really careful because while on one hand, making that kind of support available for kids um, and staff actually is really critical. And we do have it available. It's of course not as numerous as we'd want it to be, just in terms of the number of really skilled people we have who can be counselors and clinicians and school psychologists. But it's, uh, but it's absolutely there. Everybody this week has been on heightened alert. Uh, people have been very intentionally checking in with individual students who seem to be demonstrating the need for that support. We have left it, though, to the discretion of individual teachers and schools what, if anything, they want to do that's more formal and organized. And I thought a lot about that because on one hand, do you want to proactively name this and proactively have discussions? The tension there is this can for understandable reasons be incredibly anxiety producing for kids. And so we may be actually injecting this into their consciousness where it doesn't exist. And so this is where we trust our teachers, you know, 
we say you need to make the call for what you think needs to happen you know in the classroom i did send out some additional uh resources this morning from the national association of school psychologists that were superb and we're going to be sending those out to parents um as well so um we've made available some support we did not do something that was at least in this initial week of the aftermath of the tragedy that was more district-wide um sure so that was kind of the tension that that sometimes exists there and in the end we just decided this is really a classroom by classroom or a school by school um decision of how you handle something like this and as far as troubled kids i know one of the things that happens and the aftermath of these tragedies is a lot of discussions of the red flags that are so apparent afterwards but nobody seems to see them leading up to the event but that's i i you know i think that's human nature and and somehow when you look very closely the red flags seem so obvious but they're not so obvious as everybody's busy with their days and their activities and things i i guess what i'm trying to get at is does the school district have a policy program, whatever, or make efforts to try to spot these red flags and intervene? Absolutely. And we need to continue to do even more of that. But I can say, again, these are issues where um, it's inappropriate for me to talk with too much detail, but sure. we have had instances since I've been in Rochester of students reporting other students whose behavior raised concerns for them and who needed help and we have instances in which we have taken very decisive action based on that feedback um, to support those students and i'm pleased that 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 nothing of this type happened but we have had kids we've had staff just in the not quite a year that i've been here do exactly what we want um, which is not feel that you're snitching on somebody that you're um selling them out or whatever the, the thinking might be you're yeah. keeping the school safe you're 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 proactively investigating behaviors uh that raise concerns and so this at the right things have happened multiple times since i've been here um, i can't you know again you hate to qualify this I, we definitely don't have the systems in place that we need for me to be able to say that that always can happen, but there have been multiple instances of us handling things that might have never had anything close to the tragedies that make the headlines, but that were serious. And the proactive willingness of students and staff to flag those behaviors is just everything. And then we took action very quickly. And, you know, you mentioned the fear of being a snitch or whatever the, whatever the kids call it today. I know, I know, we're <laughs> dating ourselves here. I think it's like we're coming uh, out of a side story or something like that, but yeah, we're right. You're, you're, you're interested as saying you're the school system and getting that particular student help so they don't- Absolutely. Don't get, it exactly, doesn't get worse. It's exactly what we did with the, most of the cases that I'm describing have involved, the steps we took involved counseling or intensive mental health support, but also, of course, we involve law enforcement as well. So. Well, I, I hope, I pray this is the last time we have to have a I chat about this topic. It, it, it just horrifies me that we have to have this discussion and that you as a school administrator have to oversee efforts to 
protect our children from this type of threat. And uh, yeah, that's, I just pray we, I pray there's not another one. That's all I can say. I do too. I can share with you um, today, Andy, I just met with our school board chair, Gene Marvin and our vice chair, Kathy Nathan. We have a regular meeting and I just met with them this morning. One thing we've agreed to do is we are going to have on a future school board agenda appropriately removed from this tragedy um, an update on how we work to proactively address issues of safety and then how we respond when crises uh, materialize. And we're going to do that sometime in the coming months. Um, we're going to do that when it is was not a moment of crisis going on. Um, I think that's inappropriate, partly because we're all at a moment of, of wanting to just do something, just do anything. We also, we risk suggesting that, well, if it, what happened in Texas wouldn't have happened here because we're so good at these things. And so we want to take some time here, but many of the emails that I've gotten in the last few days have, they've been reassured when I say, oh, we have threat assessments, we have crisis response plans, we think about this all the time, but they would like somewhat more information on what that looks like uh, without giving away the playbook. And so we are going to schedule that for an upcoming uh, school board meeting. And so oh, okay. just because we, we do we do need to provide somewhat more information about this to reassure people while, uh, as I've said a couple of times now, uh, not uh, not giving away that playbook. Okay, uh, very good. Um, Superintendent Kent Pickell with us this morning is Rochester Today on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. We'll take a break and be back in just a moment. This is the fam program you're listening to is pre-recorded, and that means some of the days and dates mentioned may not mesh up with today's day. Welcome back to Rochester Today, Andy Brownell and Kent Pickell, Superintendent of the Rochester School District. The Rochester School District going through... A fairly significant transition right now. Well, yeah. in the next few months as this school year ends and the next school year begins. And part of that is saying farewell to some schools, Longfellow and um, well, well, at least Longfellow not, building, the building. Yeah, yeah just building. Longfellow is not going anywhere. And in fact, yesterday I was uh, received email from the Minnesota Department of Education uh, telling me that Longfellow was approved for next year to continue using what we call the balanced calendar, but which is 45 days of school on and then 15 sure. off, which is uh, a, a, a model that works great for certain families. But every year we have to get approval from the state. So Longfellow is not going anywhere, but just a different just a different building and um, some change there for sure. But yeah, we're doing that. And of course, uh, Friedel Middle School is closing, which is a, always a difficult situation. But we're also excited about the options that are ahead for many of those kids at Dakota Middle School and other uh, schools in the in the district. I suppose it's, it's an emotional thing. People have such attachment to their schools that uh, when the time does come to retire a facility, I suppose you get a lot, you get to hear a lot of that. It is. I mean, sometimes it's been described as like uh, like when, especially Chicago was closing a lot of schools uh, like 10, 15 years ago. It was a essay that kind of I don't know if we said things went viral at the time. We talked about you know it's like a death in the community um, in a lot of ways. I don't Friedel on um, Thursday night this week or Wednesday night, I guess it was Wednesday, um, we had a sort of, you know, farewell to Friedel celebration. And there were 
years and years, really generations of people who had been associated with Friedel who came back. And I was at the school the day before as it happened as well. And I have to say, uh, from our, our school leadership, our teachers, and an amazing uh, parent-teacher uh, association there, they made it such a positive um, celebration of what Friedel has meant to many of them. And so it was still very bittersweet because, you know, those changes are hard and they had also come to love that quirky building right in the middle of town that was really a, a furniture store. Originally, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, it was bittersweet, but they people just had a very positive, sort of resolute um, kind of acceptance of the decision that had been made, but um, a real pride in what had uh, happened there for many years. And speaking of changes, as we move to the school year, school boundaries change along with this yep and school bus routes are going to change and school start times a decision was made since the last time we talked maybe you could uh, elaborate on what what the school board decided on yeah i mean you just ticked off all of the various well not all but many of the various pieces of a super complex puzzle and so if you think of the whole city and rochester public schools role in the city as kind of like this incredibly interconnected um set of i don't know for lack of a better, a better analogy dominoes where you move something here and it has implications and where a bus goes all the way across town or where a school starts uh, or where another school ends what is happening next year in rochester is the boundaries were redrawn to accommodate the new schools that will be opening in the closure of friedel so that was happening anyway at the same time um before i got to rochester the school board shifted our start times to move high schools much later in the day from where they'd been after i got here we did a study with some uh a researcher affiliated with the university of minnesota and another former colleague of mine and we found that yes we had achieved a lot of our goals for the high school kids and there were major benefits to moving start times later for them but we had created a real problem for elementary school students because they were starting at 9 35 and missing a lot of prime learning time and by the end of the day those little kids were really not the energy bunny <laughs> energizer bunnies from edu education we want them to be so we looked hard at fixing that this next year and with not only financial constraints, it would have been cumulatively like another six, $700,000 above the increased buses we'll need for the boundary changes. But in terms of availability of drivers, which has been a huge problem, we reluctantly realized we can't fix the start times entirely for next fall. So in an effort to at least somewhat slightly mitigate that loss of prime learning time for our elementary students everybody's shifting 10 minutes earlier and so though there'll be high school kids starting a little earlier than they were this year and middle school kids which is not the direction we want it moving in but is not a wild swing and the elementary students moving a bit earlier in an initial step to try and get it there i, I and the next year ahead, we are going to take a really comprehensive look at the whole system and see if there are, frankly, any fundamental assumptions that have guided our school choice structure in Rochester for a long time that are getting in the way of giving our schools a start time that's really going to work for staff and families. Um, so that's the big work ahead of us for this next year. So it's the transportation component that makes the choice plan that much more complex? Yes, it's the transportation component. and who gets what level of transportation. So 
if you even look at Longfellow, which is on that unique calendar, they used to have transportation across the whole city. Now it was confined to an area, but their school model is one that is pretty particular to certain families who can have their kids go to school for 15 days and then either go to what we call the intercession at the school, which is not the school curriculum, but it's still activities, or be at home. And so one of the things we're gonna have to fix next year is the demand for that uh, school model in the attendance area that Longfellow will inhabit is insufficient to fill that great new building. And so we're gonna need to think about what Longfellow's attendance area really should be in order to provide a sufficient number of families with access to that building. So that's just that's just one school in the whole system that we need to really take a look at with some Get the devil's all in the details. Yeah, so within the Longfellow district, as it currently exists, you have some of the families saying this doesn't work for us and they're going to other schools. Yeah, and we send them to Franklin. And so okay. there you've got kind of, a, now you've added another layer of complexity and cost to the system um, because you have an area that um, doesn't, and a model that doesn't quite meet the needs of those families. And so that's that's the issue we got to fix. And it, and that plays itself out across the whole district in multiple different ways with, with different schools. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You pined for the good old days when you went to the school where you lived. You know, that was, you didn't really have much of a choice. Yes. Well, it made things easier for superintendents, but I'm not <laughs> sure it worked as well for families because, you know, choice gives families options. And so we got to find a medium, a medium ground. I'm pretty optimistic, actually, that we can. Uh, there's some research that says the sort of optimal start time is about 8.30. And we can't afford to have every school start at 8.30 because that would double the number of buses. Basically, each bus goes and makes two runs. And if you want to have everyone start at the same time, each bus makes one run. But if we shift the way some of our routes work, I think there are some efficiencies we could gain that would let us uh, move those start times in the right direction. The bring in, have to bring in some military logistics experts. Oh my gosh, boy, is that true. Luckily, we have an <laughs> unbelievable transportation director and a guy named Jeff Cappers who knows the whole city like the back of his hand. And so Jeff and I are going to spend a lot of time staring at uh, lines on a map this summer. And we'll see. <laughs> Jeff, me, and others. Uh, we'll see. That what we sounds so fun. Yeah, it just was too much to get done while we're also changing the boundaries and um, opening new schools. So some people say, why are you delaying this another year? We're literally redoing the whole map. And the way this works is we can tell you where where you think your kid's going to school and whether you need a bus or not. And then we get to September and we find out what families really are wanting and doing. So that the projected enrollment numbers are always somewhat different than the actual enrollment numbers. Oh yeah. So we just said, wait, we got to get this whole system shifted, and then over next year, we need to take a look at the start times issue. Because then you actually know what's really happening out yep. there. Yep, that's or exactly as that. close Otherwise, as you could be. Yep. Otherwise, we were sitting here saying, well, if this school had this kind of enrollment, then we could do this with the start time. And so next year, we'll be able to say, well, this school has this kind of enrollment. So what can we do with the start time? All right. You mentioned enrollment. So when we come back after the news break, we'll talk about the updated enrollment projections for the Rochester Public Schools that, uh, well, things have shifted since the start of the pandemic. Let's put it that way. We're talking with Kent Pickell, the superintendent of Rochester Public Schools on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Kent Pickell was pre-recorded. If you hear some dates or days that don't match up with today's date, this is the reason why. Welcome back to Rochester Today, Monday morning, and the superintendent is in, Kent Pickell from the Rochester Public Schools. 
enrollment projections. It's something that gets updated every year and sometimes they're right, sometimes they're not. <laughs> yep. I've watched them over the years and they've been, you know, actually to be honest with you, if you looked at it in a macro sense and a percentage basis, they have been fairly accurate mm -hmm. within a certain range. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about the numbers of students in a system that has over 17,000 students, you're talking a percentage point could be close to 100 or 200 students. But yep. the district got updated and we are now being told that likely we'll see fewer students this fall than what had previously been forecast. Is you know, that a I, correct statement? I would probably go a little, a little less strong than likely and say that there there is strong reason to plan for that, but that there's also reason to be skeptical about that. The When I got here, um, it was pretty clear that especially with, you know, new schools opening, um, although Friedel closing or, you know, opening more schools were closing. And so the projection was for increasing enrollment. And so in working with John Carlson, who's our executive director of finance and technology, I said, you know what, let's subject our projections because we do these projections internally to some external expertise. So we worked with a, a firm that we that is a basically uh, does demographic projections for school districts uh, all over the country to completely scrub our methodology. And they basically look at two things. They look at birth rates, which are projected in Rochester to be basically flat. And then they look at your uh, actual enrollment trends for the previous five years. So what are families doing? You know, when are kids joining the district? When are kids leaving the district? The thing about that second part, the birth rate, the first part, the birth rate piece is pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, the second part is that in the middle of that five-year period for us and every other school district is the pandemic. And we were down, initially there's about 600 kids. We gained another almost 200 back. So we're down a, a bit more than 400 kids since the start of the pandemic. And that's actually much better than a lot of school districts around the country. I mean, one of the great questions right now is where did all the students go? because almost every district, every system, every commu community colleges too, but um, K-12 is harder to figure out because school is still mandatory until you're 18. And it's not clear, is it homeschooling? Is it kids just not attending school? Is it kids who move to live with relatives in completely different places in ways that our surveys don't capture? So for Rochester, the good news is we have been up slightly this year from where we were last year. So there's some reason to believe that this methodology that this firm used, which is best practice in the field, is overly pessimistic because it includes that plummet that happened during the pandemic. And there's really no easy way to control for that because we can't say what those families are going to choose to do. But there were four scenarios that they outlined, you know, one which was the worst case scenario that would, you know, take us down to like 14,000 students. And then one that was uh, a best case scenario, uh, which gets us back to more like 22,000 you know, students all by like 2030. And then the one that they predicted was basically for slightly declining enrollment. So I see part of my job is getting us into that upper bound of the projection so that we really do become the education provider of choice for Rochester families um, and maybe families nearby and outside Rochester and through our RPS online, maybe families anywhere in Minnesota. So I think we're not helpless in this, but yes, it does create a new challenge at a time when we probably didn't really need another new challenge. But um, 
we are uh, we have resources that we can use to address it. And reading the school board briefing on that, it was much more detailed than previous years where I've read the projection reports and contained a higher level of explanation. And part of it was the, uh, I think it was the, co- it was referred to as the cohort projection or, or something along those lines. And it's That's a prediction of retention of different grade levels. And it really showed how complex this business is of projecting the, predicting the future, I guess, is what we're talking about here. Yep. There's certain points at which we have a slight net decrease, maybe family, and it's not huge in Rochester, but maybe families choosing some other option, like for middle school, after being in our elementary schools, we definitely see uh, the reverse with our high schools, where we see more kids who weren't in our middle schools coming into our high schools. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in transparency, and I'm a believer in the fact that actually people can and want to understand the complexity of this stuff. They don't have to fix it. That's what they want to pay us to do. <laughs> but that the vast majority of people actually understand that there is no free lunch and that, that these are these are tough decisions and they want to know that you're trying to make them in the short term in ways that work best for the kids we've got in our schools now, but that also mean that in 10 or 15 years, Rochester Public Schools is going to be a thriving system that um, is set up well by the decisions we make today. So that's kind of the tension. And so I'm glad you and a, you and a surprising number of people did read that very, very long uh, enrollment report. Um, and when they sent me their super detailed questions, I sent them <laughs> on to the finance guy and sort of asked to be copied well, on the response. Well, that leads to my next question because in the near term, these are the numbers that you use to plan the budget for the next school year the staffing for the next school year, building usage for the next school year, all of this. Yep. So there's a level of uncertainty in that. How, how do you deal with that part of it? Um, well, as you and I talked about last time, we have also named the fact that Rochester Public Schools has a, a structural budget deficit, that we've had staff enrollment that has grown, that has outpaced growth in student enrollment. And so we got to fix that. And this year we put in place year one of a budget reduction. And I'm pleased to say that that trend line has now started to head downward toward where our staffing is getting closer to our actual student numbers. There's no magic ratio, but the two obviously can't become too far apart because it just the money comes from the number of kids that you got. So we made $7 million in reductions this year. We'll make another $7 million in reduction the next year. And if the enrollment projection makes that worse, we will make um, greater reductions. And I think it's important to add, even since you and I talked, Andy, we have also announced a restructuring of our school district central administration. And we've significantly reduced the cost of senior administration since I've been here. And we'll continue to do that. And I don't say that like there's anything like bad about central administration. It's just that when you're constraining positions for people who work directly with kids, like teachers and paraprofessionals, you also should be doing that at the senior levels of the school district. And so that's something we've put in place over the last few weeks, actually. And uh, at the school level, this is a staffing issue as well, because you have to know, I need this many teachers for these many kids or paraprofessionals. It's, it is. I'm pleased to say that right now it's looking like we're going to be able to make this first round of budget reductions with no what we call unrequested leaves of absence or ULAs, essentially cutting people's jobs. And that was not at all guaranteed when we named this effort. Um, and so I'm glad about that. I also know you can't 
you can't do that every year. So it's one reason why back to our enrollment discussion, we got to be the provider of choice in Rochester. We got to have those students and families choosing our schools so that we have the resources to provide a great education and not end up cutting our very talented educators. And that is part of your upcoming strategic plan that yeah. will be unveiled this summer? I'm doing an unveiling uh, at the June 7th board meeting, and then the plan is for the board to vote on it June 21st. Now, unveiling, I shouldn't say, they actually did a study session on it two weeks ago, and board members have been on every one of the six working groups, and we've had a ton of stuff on the website and things like that. So unveiling is probably the wrong word. People have probably seen it so many times they're sick of it. But yes, it's called Planning for Purpose, and it is really, I think, an exciting roadmap for the next three years for Rochester Public Schools. All right. Well, next month we'll delve into that in more detail. Awesome. You have a presentation, but we do have to take a quick break. We'll return with a little bit more time with the superintendent, Kent Pakel with the Rochester School District. I'm Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9. Family Service Rochester Mental. The program you're listening to is pre-recorded, and that means some of the days and dates mentioned may not mesh up with today's date. Rochester Today on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Andy Brownell, and I'm glad to be joined again by the superintendent of Rochester Public Schools, Kent Pakel. We brought up the P word numerous times during a discussion today because it's, well, obviously it's had an impact on our entire society, global society, and especially the schools and especially the students. Where are we at now with the Rochester Public Schools in coping with the darn COVID virus? Yeah, well, that pandemic uh, is still unfortunately with us. What I feel really good about is that actually after quite a few months of either um, requiring masks across the full school district or um, having to, as we did for two weeks, transition to distance learning, I think we've landed in a pretty good strategy, which is really a building by building and even classroom by classroom strategy at the elementary level. So what we've evolved to is if 5% of the students and staff in a building test positive for COVID, that building is wearing masks for two weeks and we assess assess at the end of two weeks. Um, And we have had a number of buildings that have had to make that transition. I'm happy to say right now, the only building in the district that is required, where masks are required through the whole building is the one I'm in, the Edison building with central administration. So we're wearing masks here, but they're not in any other school. But we also added in elementary schools where kids are in a self-contained classroom most of the day, the provision that if 15% of the kids in that classroom test positive, then they're wearing masks as well. So we do have places where you have classrooms um masked but not the rest of the school and several months ago when we put in place our updated procedures principals really wanted to avoid that because they didn't want us have to say well are you in you know miss johnson's classroom or mr wagner's classroom so with masks in the end though the commitment was so strong to keep every single kid learning in person in our schools that principals and others said, yep, let's make sure we have that additional layer at, in certain classrooms. And it actually has gone pretty well. We haven't That's had, great. you know, yeah, we haven't had like little kids breaking out in fights about why do you have to wear masks and we don't have to wear masks or things like that. So, you know, we're not, we're entering the last week of the school year. And so it's, there's still, there's still some days left, but I think we are coming through a, to the, coming to the conclusion of a year like no other. And everyone affiliated with Rochester Public Schools, certainly our staff, but also our parents, 
and especially our students should feel really proud of how we have weathered a really, really unique, challenging school year. It, uh, it seems like we're finally learning how to live with the virus instead of reacting to it, I guess. I mean, we're still reacting, but we're coping. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, and, one uh, hope so. One would hope so because I think, uh, not I think, obviously, I know the next phase for us is really accelerating the academic learning, the unfinished academic learning that kids missed over this really almost three year period of disrupted learning. Um, I think that the potential long-term impact on the students who've been impacted and frankly on our economy of that unfinished learning could be very scary. And so that's why in particular through our new strategic plan that will go into effect over the summer, making sure we have multiple tiers of support where a kid who is two grade levels behind isn't sitting in the class with a teacher working on material that that kid can't access because they're missing fundamental skills right or math or whatever we have to have other places for those students so we're actually going to be doing an audit of our of our system on the degree to which we have those tiers of support with the university of minnesota starting in august because we need the best possible thinking and we need some external eyes on how we actually provide those those supports in our schools because we really have a lot of kids who have been amazing they've hung in there They've done more than what we've asked them to do, but they're on average making about half the progress in reading and math that they would have made pre-pandemic. Wow. And so we just have got to lean in to the academic piece, which has again and again been overtaken by masks and distance learning and things like that. So boy, I'm hoping in the next school year, we can really, really put that academic acceleration at front and center. I know we are all hoping for that. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, on a more, uh, I guess, a happier note, the class of 2022 is is going to uh, receive diplomas. Yes. And, uh, boy, the, these kids coming out, well, the last year's class as well, they, they will have this distinction of weathering the storm. And I hope that that's the way they look at it, not... We had to suffer and, you know, have carry this scar for the rest of our lives. Instead, wear it as a badge of honor that we made it through this and here we are and ready to take on the world. Do you get to participate in the commencement ceremonies directly? I do. They, I do. They tolerate me and they let me come. Uh, <laughs> seriously, it's awesome. I spoke yesterday at two graduation ceremonies at our area learning center, which was super fun. Um, a guy gave me a chance to bust out my my robe and my my TAM, which is the goofy hat, as they call it, and definitely more than a few students kind of gave me a thumbs up for the Harry Potter uh, garb. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did that. What's a little bit interesting is that for the upcoming graduations, which are um, the week after this, uh, uh, following weekend, they're going to be each of our three comprehensive high schools broken into two, two graduations in their gym because of COVID. And so we're not having one big graduation at the like Civic Center or at like in one of the stadiums. 
Um, I got some emails from some of our high school students wanting to have that. Um, the stadium piece was more partly weather, but partly sound um, was a big issue. So it's going to be like John Marshall will have two graduations. Uh, Mayo will have two. Century will have two. I taped a video for one of each school, and I'm going to join one of each school live. Um, and yes, I'll make a few remarks and things like that. It's interesting because my stepdaughter, Molly, you know, I, we weren't living, we weren't here in Rochester until last July. And so she's a senior um, at Austin High School and also graduated with a two-year degree from Riverland Community and Technical College. So she just did the Riverland graduation and Austin is is coming up next weekend too. And when I was talking with Molly, um, she said, you know what, don't do a COVID graduation speech. We're tired of people telling us <laughs> that, that you should be proud you made it through COVID. Like we know that. I thought that was really interesting because what was my first instinct to go do a COVID speech and tell them like how they did it? And she said, "No, like we don't really, frankly, want to be reminded of COVID." So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure how well I how well I did. At least I've learned that you got to be. And so that's you know, but it's an honor. And I, I will say that Rochester Public Schools class of 2022 will be my first class I've ever helped graduate as a superintendent. So I will always remember these kids in a really sort of personal way. So it's it's an honor. So the, the cartoon bubble in my head when you're telling the story about your stepdaughter is you reaching into your briefcase and pulling out a thick wad of paper where you wrote your speech and start ripping it up right in front totally. of her. That's what I did mentally in my head. <laughs> I was like, oh, there go my like encouraging words about masks and whatever. So no, I'm well, not going to talk about that at all. But you know. didn't, At least you didn't have to hear a couple hundred kids groan when you started the speech right. out the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't, and that would be exciting. It, it, it was so exciting at the um, the Area Learning Center last night uh, and yesterday afternoon. Families just cheering for those kids. The students, they have a tradition there of they come up and ring a bell, um, which goes back a number of years, and it was just it was just great for to be there with those those educators and those families, and you know, watch those kids go out in the world. It's got to be for somebody who's an educator, one of the more exciting times. It's year. amazing. And actually at the ALC, because it's small and it's also, I mean, literally alternative, instead of just reading like Andy Brownell and you get your diploma, um, a teacher makes a comment about each student and one of the staff read each one. And then while they read it, the student had made their own uh, PowerPoint slide, which almost always had a, one or two pictures and a quote about their time at the school, which was almost invariably about one of the staff. So here you had somebody reading these statements from the teachers and other educators about the kid and then projected above them, you had the kid's statement almost invariably about someone else at the school or about the school as a whole. And so it was a really nice sort of like way yeah. of just, just demonstrating how there's this wonderful sort of connectedness between how educators appreciate their students and students appreciate their educators. And we too often forget that and until you get to something like a graduation right before the kids are going to be gone and you actually may never see them again, which is the sad reality. And then we stop to say things like this. You know, <laughs> that's human nature, but um, it was really powerful and, and really exciting. Well, I wish you well in your speech writing. Now yes. We have to start over and uh, we have to, we have to mosey on and, uh, do something else, but uh, it's always a pleasure, Kent. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and, yeah. and all the information got, you provide our listeners. We got way down in the weeds today. So um, for anybody who's still listening, thank you for your, <laughs> attention, your attention to all this detail on start times and COVID and everything.
Thank you so much. It's the superintendent of the Rochester Public Schools, Kent Pickell, today on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM on 96.9 FM. First, we decide where we want to go.